Welcome back to What in the World. My name is Ryan, being joined by Andre. Andre, what's going on? How's your week been? It's been pretty good. I'm 0.5 pounds away from reaching my 10-pound milestone since I started this whole weight loss routine, which is basically just eating healthy. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very happy for you. So yeah, so, that, so that's been going on. I've also been watching some of the, uh, the, uh, the Senate testimonies uh, today regarding Facebook and so on, and I was perturbed to hear Senator Blumenthal uh, ask the Facebook executives why they haven't banned finstas yet finsta you know what a finsta is uh, ryan i i do in fact know what a finsta is uh while i do not have one i do have a younger sister uh and so yes andre i can't believe finsta came out of a u.s senator's mouth during a hearing nonetheless i don't think he knows what a finsta is like the facebook exec was a bit puzzled when she heard him talk about Finsta and asked why it hasn't been banned. And she was like, yeah, I mean, it's done by a lot of younger people to just get a bit more privacy from their parents and stuff. And he's like, oh, privacy. Oh, so you mean there are young people who are not trying to, who are trying to hide their content from their parents. This is bad. And the Facebook person was like, uh, I mean, it's, it's a slang. It's just a different account. And he's like, you did not answer my question. Oh, Thank you. And uh, yeah, and apparently he had his staff do an experiment where they pretended to be a 13-year-old girl. And in that experiment, they followed a lot of extreme dieting accounts, okay? And then within 24 hours or 48 hours or whatever, they kept getting suggestions for more extreme dieting accounts. Now, Ryan... Don't get me wrong. I think social media companies have a lot to answer for. I think there's a lot that needs to be addressed, especially with misinformation, cyberbullying, and so on. But I think that's just the algorithm. If you follow extreme dieting accounts, you're going to get more extreme dieting accounts suggested to you. Like if you're just following extreme dieting accounts, like I follow a lot of autograph accounts i get autographs and museums being suggested to one of my instagram accounts like what's the deal that's exactly how it works it is all algorithm based and so the more you engage with something the more it's going to send you similar things i like architecture i follow architecture accounts i like architecture photos on social media you do? i do andre wow. um, mid-century modern in particular anyway putting that aside um and so they send you more of that content because they want you to come back to the app. And so I, I'm not sure the senator truly understands that. Or even if he doesn't understand that, I mean, I, I'm not sure how Finstas uh, are, are a crucial thing that must be brought up during a Senate hearing, but it, it did. Good Lord. Good Lord. I mean, there are so many problems that we need to address with social media, but I really wish our senators could at least be a bit more clued in to like the actual topics that they're dealing with. Oh, that's for sure. Um, but that, uh, of course, is a more of a staff level issue. Yeah. Nothing more to say about that to all my friends who are working on the Hill. There is another uh, interesting set of hearings today uh, regarding Afghanistan featuring uh, General Milley, the, joint, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs staff, and then also General uh, Kenneth McKenzie or General Frank McKenzie. Uh, I think, yeah, General McKenzie. Uh, 
and we've had General McKenzie actually on the podcast way back in November 2020. Uh, we spent about three minutes on Afghanistan with General McKenzie because, as we all know, Afghanistan was not too much on really anyone's radar, sadly, uh, last year in 2020, but it's on everyone's radar right now because of the withdrawal. Uh, a lot of a lot of harsh exchanges, right, Ryan? Oh, absolutely. I, well, it depends on which side you're going to view it from. But uh, some members of Congress uh, were not very kind uh, to um, General Milley and also Secretary Austin. Uh, General McKenzie kind of came out a little unscathed, but still he was criticized for some some other things as well. Uh, I mean, really, the, I think the major takeaway is that the our, our military leaders warned both President Trump and President Biden that the the withdrawal from Afghanistan could lead to the Afghan government's collapse, which we've seen. I mean, that's exactly what happened. Uh, and so, Milley specifically, I think Milley and McKenzie specifically warned Biden about this. Yes, right. That's exactly right. And so, uh, Defense Secretary Austin says that the U.S. did not plan uh, against a collapse, uh, and so with all these scenarios, they they did not see it happening in eleven days. Of course, they were you know prepared for a range of, of possibilities. Well, well, uh, but... uh, I mean, the people like our political leaders did not prepare for the collapse. It, I mean, the, our military leaders they knew that this would happen, right? Because I mean, that's what Mackenzie and yeah. Milley were sort of saying, right? I mean, yes. So they so it's not necessarily that they they weren't preparing for the outcomes of a collapse per se. They they were aware that a collapse could very well occur. Yes. Um, but I think there is some honesty as to how quickly uh, it, it occurred. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, the, the fact is, on in the George Stephanopoulos interview that President Biden gave on Afghanistan, he said, according to the Washington Post, quote, none of his military advisors had recommended leaving a, resi- a residual force of 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. However... <laughs> Both the generals did say that they actually advised Trump and Biden to keep 2,500 troops, at least 2,500 troops. So there's a bit of a hiccup right there. And of course, we know when you're testifying under congressional oath, you cannot lie. Uh, But not to just, you know, bash President Biden over this, uh, General McKenzie, quote, said, Signing of the Doha Agreement, again, under President Trump, had a really pernicious effect on the government of Afghanistan and on its military, psychological more than anything else. But we set a date certain for when we were going to leave and when they could expect all assistance to end. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, we see the Trump people sort of coming out and attacking Biden for the messy withdrawal. Uh, they're throwing a stone from a very clear glass house. And of course, we see Democrats attacking the Trump administration for the deal. But I mean, look, here's, here's the deal in Biden terms. Both of them screwed it up. Both of them screwed it up in my view. The Doha agreement, we set a deadline. The Taliban just knew that they had to wait it out. And then the withdrawal was just a calamity. I mean, logistically, perhaps, quoting General Milley, it succeeded in getting people out. But again, the government collapsed immediately. Uh, Andre, I think one of the other interesting things that came from this hearing is the uh, the attacks against General Milley for his uh, phone call 
uh, with uh, Chinese counterparts. He, he had this you know, phone call, as I think most people know now, with counterparts in the Chinese military to ease fears mm-hmm. of uh, former President Trump, who was then you know, President Donald Trump, p- potentially launching an attack following a, a defeat during the presidential election. And so uh, Marco Rubio called for him to be fired. Marsha Blackburn, uh, who sits on the Armed Services Committee, said that his actions were, quote unquote, treasonous. Uh, the White House has backed Milley. Milley said that uh, there was nothing you know, wrong about this phone call. He was instructed by Secretary of Defense Esper to make the phone call uh, because he believed that the Chinese were worried about such an attack. And so uh, very interesting. And I'm, I'm glad that Milley was able to uh, you know, defend his actions and give a very clear uh, indication of why they uh, believed it was necessary within this, uh, the Department of Defense. And so uh, I hope that those who were calling for his firing and calling him a, a traitor are going back and then uh, apologizing publicly for that. They won't apologize. You think they're going to apologize? They're no. never going to apologize. More or less, they're probably going to double down, Ryan. They're going to double down on this stuff because a lot of it's nonsense. Because look, Millie made the call with civilian oversight. He made the calls with civilian oversight, Secretary of Defense Esper. There were other people in the administration who were clued in. I frankly think that the Nixon uh, situation in the early set in during Watergate, when Nixon was sort of drunk and depressed, uh, and I think Schlesinger, who was the Secretary of Defense at the time and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, was sort of you know saying don't issue a nuclear attack. I think that was more secretive than this. Uh, yes, and also. Also, again, Milley and his Chinese counterpart, they are meant to have ongoing communications all the time. It's a normal thing because that way you don't get a situation where suddenly one country's doing war games and the other country thinks like, oh, no, those aren't games. They're actually going to go to war, which almost happened between the U.S. and Russia in 1982 or 1983. And we almost ended up with nuclear annihilation. So, yeah. Yeah, again, incredibly proper. Uh, and so I'm glad that he actually had the opportunity to to go in front of Congress and, and talk about it. Uh, anyway, Andre, let's uh, move on. I want to talk about Germany. So you and I, of course, have been talking about the German parliamentary elections. Uh, it was neck and neck, but the SPD did uh, eke out um, ahead of the CDU-CSU coalition And so it is up to the SPD to form a coalition government. And it looks like they're going to have to look to the Greens and the FDP party, uh, who don't really see eye to eye on a lot, to form a coalition in which the SPD will then uh, be in charge of the government. And we'll see Olaf Scholz likely becoming the next chancellor of Germany. And so, uh, again, really interesting, as we've been saying for for weeks, Andre, that the CDU-CSU bloc, who uh, Angela Merkel... uh, was leading uh, is not at the forefront. Uh, again, you know, she's led Germany and really the European community for the past over 15 years. Uh, and so the fact that it seems like the politics may be not necessarily the politics are shifting, but at least the, the how people view who should be leading the German people is, is kind of shifted. And so, of course, Olaf Scholz, who is a well-known name, uh, will likely be the chancellor. And of course, like I sort of want to get a German expert sort of on the program to talk about how, I guess, centric personality politics is in Germany's political context, because personality politics is not necessarily central in all 
uh, countries, right? But in Germany's case, at least my hypothesis is that with Angela Merkel, right, widely popular generally, uh, the conservatives or the CDU were they were winning, you know, good numbers of seats. But now she's gone, and Olaf came in with the uh, with the Social Democrats, and it's it's really interesting, right? And I've sort of mentioned this time and time again about the effect that a leader has on a political party, especially in a parliamentary system, Thatcher and the conservatives, uh, much more, I think, to an extent, Thatcher and the conservatives rather than Tony Blair and Labour. But yeah, interesting times in Germany. Absolutely. And again, if you look to foreign policy issues, uh, the, the SPD with this new coalition with the potentially, it's again, it seems like it's going to be the Greens uh, and the FDP along with uh, uh, the SPD in leading that, uh, they are very pro-EU, which is, again, really necessary because if it's not Germany leading the European Union, well, then it then comes a question, is it who's next? France. Exactly, likely France. And so given the the now difficult relationship between <laughs> the US and France, I wonder what EU relationships would look like had it come to France. But again, likely not going to be the case. But I do want to you know turn to France as Macron is now saying that Europe must assert its independence from the United States, Andre. I mean, if I was in Europe, I'd probably say the same thing. I mean, j- just as a matter of fact. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously Macron still is feeling a bit peeved about the UK, US, uh, Australia nuclear submarine deal. Uh, Biden and Macron actually spoke. Biden sort of framed the call positively. Obviously, Macron does not feel the same way if he's making statements like that. But uh, it's not like the, our oldest ally and us haven't had you know, significant foreign policy disagreements in the past, right? So, yeah. I mean, look at Iraq, the, the initial invasion of Iraq, right? So. No, I, I do imagine that uh, they will kind of mend uh, the relationship uh, in the coming weeks, and if not that, maybe in the months uh, uh, again, France is a, is an important ally. It's one of, it is our oldest ally. And so, uh, we, I think at least the United States should do its very best to ensure that there are no harsh feelings after this. Uh, but the white house made it very clear, right? This is business. This is for security purposes for Australia in particular. Uh, and so I imagine, uh, France will come in from the cold. Yeah. I also sort of want to briefly touch on what's happening in Ethiopia right now. We've covered Ethiopia several times on this a series of What in the World. We had an episode, I think, in 2020 that sort of looked at the Tigray situation. And of course, since the episode aired, uh, we've seen a lot of chaos, a lot of violence, a lot of tragedy happen. But we've talked a bit about this blockade that was happening. Maybe more than a month ago, I think, or maybe even two months ago. But right now, the Ethiopian government has just ordered, they have expelled seven senior United Nations officials. Uh, and this is just happening right after uh, a, an aid chief, actually, at the United Nations, uh, suggested that Ethiopia could basically be returning to a famine state because the aid deliveries were not being allowed in. Many trucks carrying food and medicine, they're not being allowed to move by Ethiopian officials. So it's just another really sad chapter in this, uh, in this ongoing situation. Uh, and obviously, uh, Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, 
uh, stated that he has confidence in UN aid officials, but I mean, the decision by the Ethiopian government is just shocking and sad. I, I just like uh, for all of our listeners to be aware that the prime minister of Ethiopia, Abiy Ahmed, was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 2019. Yeah, what a peacemaker. Uh, exactly. What a peacemaker. Uh, he is now, again, this civil conflict in, in the Tigray region between uh, the Tigrayan special forces and the central government is just not only displacing millions, but just killing thousands of people. We talked about this famine issue. And so, uh, again, a, a, a humanitarian crisis uh, made by the Ethiopian government. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan, is there anything else on your list before we get going? Oh, I've got a handful of things on my list, Andre. Uh, one thing in particular, so Russia is threatening to ban YouTube uh, because YouTube deleted uh, RT, Russia Today, the, a, a state media that is not only um, operating in the US, but also other Western countries. It's kind of their propaganda arm in a multitude of languages. And so because RT was uh, propagandizing COVID information, essentially misinformation, uh, you, uh, Russia has retaliated by saying they'll, they'll ban it, ban YouTube, which I want to really emphasize, YouTube is huge in Russia. I mean, Russians love YouTube. And, and in particular, YouTube is a great mouthpiece for the opposition in Russia. And so if YouTube were banned in Russia, that would even have an even more uh, horrendous impact on the already just subjugated and really just beaten up opposition we've seen in Russia over the past really year. What, what about, uh, what, what are those things called, the, the technical things where you can sort of, you know, pass a link through and you can watch it even though it's banned? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're basically, you're masking your IP address by bouncing off somewhere else. VPN. A VPN. So can't people use VPNs in Russia? You can certainly use a VPN, but uh, again, I, I'm sure the Russian government can find out some way to make it as difficult as possible. Uh, and again, like this is going to be, the issue is going to be that, I mean, it's really just shuts down YouTube operations. And so, yes, they can use a VPN to go outside of that, but I'm sure the Russia will find some ways to punish YouTube or punish those who do it. And so uh, there, are, there are always consequences to doing business in countries like Russia. And this is just another example. Yeah, and Edward Snowden's sitting in Russia right now, blasting the U.S. for freedom of speech stuff. Uh, well, bro, uh, where you live right now. By the way, so speaking of not necessarily Snowden, uh, but Julian Assange, uh, the WikiLeaks. Assassination this, attempt. I, so I was talking. Not attempt, but the oh, I, I truly could not believe this story, Andre, when I saw it. I want to link it in the episode description because of all the stories we're going to talk about today, this one just absolutely... I was, it was engrossing. It blew my mind. So apparently, uh, Secretary Pompeo, who was then director of the CIA, Pompeo, really just was up in arms over the WikiLeaks uh, leak that was really quite bad for the CIA. And, in, and because of that, he wanted to either kidnap or really assassinate Julian Assange, who was kind of holed up in the UK in the Ecuadorian embassy and was really just had the craziest of plans. And this was kind of bounced around the U.S. government and everyone said it was a terrible idea. But of course, Pompeo was like, nope, we're going to do this. Pompeo, Pompeo just stated, quote, I make no apologies for the fact that we and the administration were working diligently to make sure we were able to protect this important sensitive information uh, from whether it was cyber actors in Russia or the Chinese military or anyone who was trying to take this information away from us. Uh, Pompeo also said that Yahoo News sources didn't know what we were doing. Uh, hey, 
that very well be the case, but I mean, he's not denying really that this was an idea floated. Yeah, he's, he didn't deny it. And Yahoo News also quotes Pompeo giving a public talk in 2017 in October, the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, saying, quote, we're going to become a much more vicious agency. So, yeah, he didn't really deny it. So I guess I mean, this is at least to me, this is just in a wild thing that has occurred. And had they taken steps to do something like this? Congress would have just thrown a fit because the CIA has, I mean, it's operations abroad while, you know, they've engaged in a variety of things. Doing something like this in the United Kingdom, an ally of us, would not, I mean, certainly it'd violate international law, but putting that aside, it would also likely violate U.S. law. Uh, so interestingly enough, uh, for the for the Harvard-educated lawyer that is Mike Pompeo. Very interesting. interesting. Very interesting. Oh, another story is that in New Zealand, after that knife attack, uh, New Zealand just criminalized terror plotting. So it is now illegal to plot a terrorist attack. Who would have thought? I did not know it was legal to plot a terrorist attack. This sort of reminds me in Sri Lanka as well. It wasn't illegal to be a part of a terrorist organization. And then the terror attacks happened, and then it became illegal to be in a terrorist organization. Sometimes the laws have a bit of catching up to do. Well, that is, Don't you think? That, no, that's absolutely the case. And I'm, I'm glad that New Zealand has uh, embarked on this law. It certainly should be illegal to not only conspire to commit a terrorist act, but also to carry out uh, any terrorist act or even be a part of certain terrorist organizations that are designated uh, by governments. And so... Uh, good for New Zealand, right? That was a truly just a tragic event that occurred uh, in New Zealand. and they... No one died, though. They got the guy before he, he killed anyone. That is true. But tragic that of, of the fact that, that it was uh, it was happened, it was planned, and it was very close. Uh, and yeah. so, and scary. But again, uh, governments around the world, it's not just, you know, the countries you typically think of that are trying to wrangle with extremism. It's, I mean, really, truly everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Ryan, anything else before we wrap up? Yeah, just one more thing. I we, we talk about Turkey every so often, and I have a lot of opinions when it comes to Turkey. Uh, the recent one, Turkey wants compensation from the U.S. because of the U.S. basically kicked it out of the uh, F-35 fighter jet program. And this was because uh, Turkey wanted to acquire Russia's S-400 missile defense system. And the U.S. was absolutely appalled by that. And so they said, if you want to do that, you're going to be removed from the program that produces the F-35 fighter jets. And so I, and the fact that he wants compensation is ridiculous. I, I think that Turkey is not a great NATO partner, and I would be hard-pressed to really call it an ally, particularly given Erdogan's kind of march towards authoritarianism, and they're kind of cozying up to Russia, and their actions in Syria that have been in contravention to U.S. interests. And so I'm very curious to see how the Biden administration is going to approach Turkey. Uh, but again, Turkey really—I mean, it is in NATO. It's—it's. It's a... He just met with Putin. Erdogan just met with Putin, actually, in, right? in Sochi. Yes, that's Putin's favorite spot to meet with the world's uh, authoritarians. Sochi, Russia. Well, <laughs> so rough ride, rough ride. Well, Ryan, rough ride indeed. On Monday, we have a great episode coming out with I think one of the most famous political commentators of our time, George Will. Uh, of course, he's a conservative, and we will be talking about what a conservative foreign policy means 
what actually is a conservative foreign policy, who has practiced a conservative foreign policy in uh, Dr. Will's view. Uh, we'll certainly do an episode like that for a liberal foreign policy as well, not necessarily international liberalism, but we are, it's, this, it's the second episode in, you know, in our series, The Opening of the American Mind. Uh, Dr. Will is a hoot, uh, a very verbose man, and uh, we hope you enjoy that conversation. Andre, did you rid your closet of jeans? No, not yet. Our audience does not understand that inside joke. Basically, Dr. Will hates denims. He has written a lot of columns against denim jeans. Well, for all of you listening, you should not only listen to the episode with uh, George Will so you can understand this new uh, inside joke, but also get his book. It, I mean, again, it's a, it's a, it's quite an undertaking. It's a collection of his columns from over the years. Uh, Andre and I had the chance to read through it. And uh, even if you don't agree with oh, it, yeah. even if you don't agree with it, it's, it's still like, this is, he's a very intellectual conservative. Uh, even if you don't agree with it, like you can respect some of those viewpoints. And he's a, a wonderful uh, writer. So it's very interesting. And I'm not, saying that because I'm necessarily conservative or liberal, but just because, you know, he's a wonderful writer, Ryan, just as you said. He's a wonderful writer. Yeah, the stories are, are very interesting. The history he incorporates is great. Uh, and, um, you know, while I did say during the episode that I will go through my closet, unfortunately, Dr. Will, I do love jeans. And so I will, I will continue to wear blue jeans. But um, again, Make sure to check that episode out. Andre, you are still uh, working through your Sri Lanka series. And I know, I don't know if you want to release it, but we do have uh, a very special guest in the works. We won't say it yet, um, but it will be a nice kind of addition and a new perspective in this miniseries. And I, Andre, as you mentioned, I believe last week, I'm trying to work through a miniseries as well. I'm thinking it'll be on a country in Eastern Europe, um, one that has been in the news recently. And so we'll provide some more information as that gets put together. Yeah, I'll reveal that when I actually confirm it. So uh, yeah, but stay tuned for more great episodes, guys. See you soon. See you next time.